if someone challenges yes. you, you can say, exactly. I can do what you do, mate. So Herbin was yeah. like, I think he came across also from seeing that he has to protect me. Because he saw that it's, 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 it's just you doing what you're doing right now. So he saw it before the entire world was like, actually, it's just you are the first. So he saw it and was like, I actually need to make sure that whoever comes against you, you can pick up the basin and say, OK, let's go Tchaikovsky's 18th top overture. Let's go. Hello and welcome to The Change Exchange, where we talk about the change moments in life, how we make it happen and how we deal with it when life makes it happen. I am your host, Ruda Landmann. This podcast series was born of the realization that South Africa is going through a remarkable shift. Many people who are now stepping into leading roles come from homes where maybe their parents did not have the opportunity to fulfill their potential through study or otherwise. And in one generation, they are changing their own and often their family's environment completely. I'm joined at the microphone by Dr. Frank Magwekwe, whose own story illustrates what we're talking about. He was once homeless, and now he teaches financial wellness and personal empowerment at Gibbs, the Gordon Institute of Business Science in Johannesburg. And one of his main areas of uh, research is the science of change. So we're going to introduce you to wonderful guests who will tell us their story of change. And Dr. Frank will help us understand it in much more depth by putting a theoretical framework around it. We have a great guest in studio with us today, but I'll surprise you with that later. First, Dr. Frank, science of change. Is it even possible to say that, to make up a formula for change? Absolutely, Ruda, it is. I'm so excited. Um, you know, stories of change really help us to unpack how people deal with change. And often, when people look out to others, they think they're different from me, they're special. That's why they have been able to change in one generation and achieve amazing stuff. So what we want to do on this podcast is to take away the black box of change, is to bring research, is to bring formulas that are out there that really speak to what do people who are able to navigate change, what do they do different from those who perhaps are a little bit, find a little bit challenging to deal with change. And there lies in the science of change. We need to understand those who are good at change, what is it that they do? And I'm sure we're going to learn a lot from our guests on that. You've even distilled what looks like a mathematical <laughs> formula. Absolutely. One of my very, very, very um, exciting moments a couple of years ago was coming across this idea of the change formula. Literary Ruda transformed my life. I've always been interested in change, my own story of change, but how do people navigate change? Then boom, one day I'm just doing my research, I'm thinking about how do I communicate ideas around change? And I come across this formula and it's so simple, Ruda, it's so intuitive. It simply says, for change to happen, three things need to be in place. The first one, the individual must have some sense of being dissatisfied with their status quo. In other words, I'm kind of 
unhappy. I'm kind of, I don't like how things are currently. So that's the D in this formula. Then we've got a V. V really speaks to a vision. I like to think of it more as a compelling vision. You know, the idea that I sit and say to myself, when this change has taken place, there is the future that I will be part of, and it's so exciting. Right? That's what enables you to want to embark on this change because the vision is so compelling. But of course, research tells us you may be dissatisfied, you may have the vision, but if you cannot take baby steps, if you cannot take the first step toward that change, it will be very difficult to start that journey of change. And so there, folks, you've got it. The change formula simply says D times V times F has to be greater than resistance to change for any person to be able to navigate change. And of course, it's important, Ruda, I didn't say D plus V plus F. I say times. That is very important and deliberate. Because what he's telling us is this. None of those three elements can be a zero. As we all know, zero times anything is a zero. You need a little bit of the dissatisfaction with the status quo, you need some compelling vision, and definitely you need to be able to take those first steps. I like to think of them as baby steps. And there is the change formula, and it will really underpin a lot of our work during this podcast series. Let me immediately bring in our guest because she's nodding her head off. Ofense Pizze, you are um, an architect mm-hmm. and first black South African woman to conduct and own an all-black orchestra, um, classical orchestra, I assume. I mean, they've been bands, but not orchestra orchestra. Youngest black woman to be a conductor, Mail and Guardian's Power of Woman 2022 recipient. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. I mean, thank you for having me um, on this very interesting morning when you're talking about change formulas. Why were you so in such agreement with what Dr. Frank was saying? I was in such agreement because with change, um, there's a lot of resistance, right? And that that really tied into my story. And especially when you mentioned the baby steps, right? So that immediately took me to when I was a kid. And then um, all I, you know, all you have as a kid is just dreams and you, you everything's limitless as, as a kid. And then you grow up and then you're dealing with real life stuff right so I always try and maintain um, looking at the world with the same eyes I had as a kid right because resistance will always be there so I always try to keep that at the core of everything that I do so that is always my subject matter looking at the world through the eyes of of, of, of a child so in that way resistance will come you know each level new level new devil so I, I that's what I say <laughs> new level new devil but if you if you keep your eyes just tethered to that of a, of, of a, ch- of a child, you will, um, I guess you will not stop. And that honestly is my formula. I just have to put it down scientifically. <laughs> Let's take you back to when you were a child. Mm-hmm. Um, your mother and your grandparents played an enormous role. Tell us about yeah. them. I mean, my mom was a powerhouse, right? She was a powerhouse of note. You see me, you see my mother, right? So um, my my mother was an individual, right? See, she always broke molds. She never followed the status quo. So, I mean, also in that era where um, you find that parents are very strict, parents tell you what to do, what not to do. My mom would be the, would be very respectful to my grandparents, but will have time to sneak out and be her own person. So because of that, 
but she never told me what to do, what to be. She she would always be like, okay, what do you want to do? Which school do you want to go to? Okay, what is needed? And um, I mean, at that time, um, with her educator's salary, the the little that she she made, she always made sure that whatever I needed, I never lacked, especially in terms of education. So that was always at the core of my upbringing, my grandparents as well. So it was like generational passing on of the proverbial basin of education that you know at um in order to be great you need to be believe in something that is greater than yourself and that was always like my upbringing that education's at the core of it but also they they really instilled being an individual and would always ask me what is it that you want to do and they would always question are you sure about that so i was a kid already reasoning you know i already had that mind so i guess that is the kind of upbringing i had in a yes, you were lucky. very educational yeah very educated and educational home yeah, yeah. dr frank the role of the first people we meet in our lives? I was listening to that with so much interest because a couple of things, you know, come out. Uh, and I think, Ruda, you're quite right when you say you were lucky because often, um, particularly in South Africa, young people d- didn't get an opportunity you know, to grow mm-hmm. up in an environment like that. And that environment is so key. You know, when we look at research, for example, research around change, one of the things that happens when we're young people and we're taking, you know, offense back to when she was a kid is this idea of what is my identity, right? Who am I? And it's not only who am I. Who am I is okay. You're figuring it out as you start. But an even more important question that I got a sense from offense that was part of a part of a upbringing is who can I be? Who can I become? And that really talks to a fancy word we use in research around this idea of social norms. Are you growing up being told girls can only achieve the following? Boys can only achieve the following? Are you growing up being told you don't ask grown-ups questions? We tell you what to do and you listen. Are you being raised with the opportunity, even as a young person, of saying, but this is what I think. And then you get an opportunity, you know, to kind of, uh, I guess, argue why you think that way, how you see the world that way, without being told it's wrong, without being told you're too young, just listen to us. So that idea of societal or norms is so critical in building an identity. And as you see, I'm sure in this story, identity, a key part of navigating change. People don't spend a lot of time thinking about financial services. They simply think about the money they need to do things and the things they need to do with money. That's why at Brightrock, we don't think of ourselves as a financial services provider. Rather, we're a money company. In fact, we're the needs matched money company. Everything we do is about meeting people's changing needs. That's why we created the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. And because we want to meet people's changing needs throughout their lives, we set out to learn everything and share everything there is to know about change. We call it Change Science, and you can learn all about it at The Change Exchange, a free resource that's filled with tips, tools, and inspiring stories to help you navigate change in your life. You can find more on changeexchange.co.za or on your preferred podcast platform. Just search for Change Exchange. Made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. 
Welcome back to Change in One Generation, where our guest is Offense Pizze, architect and conductor. You managed to go to Pro Arte, the the, the school in Pretoria, the mm. art school. That's right, so. But it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't easy. You were getting up at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't the the school across the road or Daddy's SUV. Mm-hmm. Um, and. At the school, when you wanted to take music, uh, you were rebuffed. Yeah. They said, you don't have a piano, you're not one, yeah. of, one of us. Yes, yes. So I guess from a two-year-old school, there are parts coming out, right? You cannot not be from Pretoria and not say that. Moi so, man. Yes, that's right. So, so I would get up at 4 a.m. and again, support of my mother. So my mom would always, she would make sure that things were easy. So she would make my lunchbox, my school uniform was ironed, my socks were there. I would just have to polish my shoes the night before. And then she would just accompany me by where I would take the taxi. So she would just either be holding my bag or whatever and so that type of support always made me feel like shucks I have to take two modes of transport before I get to this pot of gold which is really my education and really a good education right and then I get to have to get to school half past seven in the morning and I have to go through all of these difficult subjects and all that and still make it through right so and but then was music your thing art Art was always my thing. So I was always the one drawing. My mom would bring me like exam pads from school, pencils, pens, and all of these things. So I was just always the the, the artist of the family. And the music thing just came um, again. You know, when you when things are passed on in the spiritual sense from from one person to the other. So I, I get this gift from my grandfather, right, who was uh, an exceptional jazz musician who played the trumpet, funny enough. And then he was also a conductor of the jazz maniacs um, so art was always my thing but when I got to, to Pro Arte and I saw the music department I was like shucks I also play the instrument at church I play the trumpet at church so I just wanted to and I just wanted to touch the piano honestly because I was like wow I always see at assembly they always play this grand Yamaha and how did you respond when this teacher said this is not for you oh that for me it, it shattered any ounce of dream that I had so for the longest time I had this trauma response to music Right. So because remembering how I felt when I, you know, came across these young instrumentalists from Gatlehong, I was like, I don't ever want them to feel the same way that I felt. So because of I know how it feels to be told that because you don't have this, so you don't have access or we cannot grant you access. So I felt like I don't want another young person to ever, if I have the power to change that, I don't want another young person to ever feel like that. So that's the same thought that you expressed in an interview where you said you want to give the black mm. child and the black girl child mm-hmm. a place at the table. Exactly, a seat at the table. So because of that, I remember even stopping to, I would never walk past the music department. I would take the longer route. So even if I have to go to like an English or a physics class, I would just, because I'm like, even hearing the tones of the piano or whatever instruments would just make me feel like I can never attain that. So it would kind of like, limit me and I did not like that feeling so um, that was always my I guess the the fuel of how I'm here today because I was like I don't want another young person to ever be told because you are from Mabobani, you're from Gatleho, you're from Tembisa you cannot um, be a musician or even play an instrument this is not open for this you, is not open for Dr. You. Frank you've made frantic notes <laughs> <laughs> frantic notes I am frank. because I'm thinking my goodness 
it's and I, I'm so excited because when we listen to stories of change, we able to distill. Like I said in the intro, those who successfully navigate change, what is it that they do different from people who struggle with change? And here we've got this nugget reader. That's why I just had to write it down. So an important part of navigating change is earlier obstacles or earlier difficulties in life, right? It's experiencing. And, and, and we've got a fancy word in research. We call it resilience. Really, this idea of um, successfully overcoming obstacles, overcoming challenges. And it's so interesting that offender use the word that we often attach to the idea, Ruda, of um, resilience. She said she experienced trauma when she was walking past the music uh, department, right? And resilience specifically talks to that. Trauma, tragedy, difficulties. And what happens to an individual who have gone through that? They deal with that challenge, and we can come a little bit later to how they deal with it. But what happens to them is that because they successfully navigated that difficulties, a mindset starts establishing within themselves. You get and they fit say, for change. You get fit for change. Yeah. You get prepared for change. And you say to yourself, you face a few obstacles and you say to yourself, my goodness, let me think about that trauma. Let me think about that challenge that I faced. How did I navigate it? Wait a minute. If I could navigate that, I'm ready for this one. And so we learn Part and parcel of navigating change is having overcome some difficulties earlier in life. And then architecture. Why architecture and where did you get the funding? Oof. Because this was before Nesfas, huh? This was before Nesfas. It was in the formative years of Nesfas, right? Yeah. So um, architecture because, I mean, again, I did arts. So... My gift is the gift of art. So from a kid, I was drawing, like in preschool, kids were drawing Stickman. I was drawing like SpongeBob, Johnny Bravo, like cartoon characters, you know, like my gym partner is a, is a monkey. I, I had that understanding. So I don't know how my mind was wired as a kid, but I would look at what is happening on TV and I would be able to mimic that on paper. Like I would be able to, to draw that, right? And then, so when I went to Praate, um, Elfin Park, I, art was my major. So in art, they teach you everything about art. They teach you the history of architecture, so your Parthenon, your Pantheons, and then they take you to art now, your, your, your um, you know, Jacques-Louis de Vitt, you know, your Malays, your Monets, and all that. And then, so, and then they get into a bit of music. So it's always interrelated. So I got to understand from a very early age how art is more than one thing, right? So now when came the the option of okay now what am i going to do because now i'm in grade 11 matric is just around the corner and then i just wanted to be an artist right and then my eldest uncle was because he was an art collector he was like okay but are you sure you know artists right now in south africa they don't really succeed financially and i was like shucks if anything i don't want to keep struggling because i mean i've struggled through my my um educational years with parate um, waking up at four and all that i wouldn't want to now struggle again as an adult so i was like shucks um okay i'm good with maths i have physics i'm quite well spoken i have art 
okay, architecture. So let's try that out. And then um, applied and then had an interview. And it's very difficult to get into architecture, by the way. You have to just was be this a unicorn. This was Vits. This was Vits. Uh. Because I wanted to leave Pretoria. I'm from Pretoria, but I was like, I need to leave Pretoria. I need, again, change, right? I don't like being stuck in one thing and feeling like I'm comfortable here. So I was like, you know what? I want to move. Let's let's see the new challenge. Let's, let's see. Let's get us to the new step. So I went to Vits. And then they took me at Vits. And then, yeah, it was very difficult. So in the beginning, I had a bit of funding. And then, um, again, architecture does, does not really, at that time especially, did not have bursaries and all that. So my mom struggled through trying to pay for my tuition and then my accommodation. And then um, in the midst of all that, I taught myself how to be a graphic designer. So I would graphic design, make logos, branding, and then I would get paid for, for that work. And then that would help sort of like ensure that I have groceries and some things like I wanted to alleviate my mother's stress right um, so I kept again wanting to teach myself stuff that don't keep me tethered to waiting for a savior waiting for funding to come what if funding does not come do I drop out I cannot afford to drop out because I cannot go back to the hood I need to you know I need to elevate so um, that really has been the I guess the part with architecture so currently I'm doing my master's master's degree in architecture i'm actually from campus so i was there the whole night pulling an all-nighter because yeah it's it's submission time so yeah that has been essentially the journey so i've made it to master's oh, architecture. bloody well done yeah yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah so i'm literally from vets i'm yeah. from campus right now wow. yeah yeah so there's a student side of you mm-hmm. i'm very academic <laughs> yeah it's always Dr. Frank, no, is it is it just my specific interest or uh, this thing about um, I'm not going to wait for the world to accommodate me, to give me money, to be supportive, whatever. I will take my power and I will do something. And there again, you know, we come to a critical component of, of change. So when I was listening to that, what came to mind for me were two things. So firstly, you, there's a number, almost there's, a, there's an overarching vision, but you could almost say there's sub-vision. There's, I need to leave Pretoria. Um, I need to alleviate my mother's suffering. For, for my own sake, I need good financial well-being, you know, from the discussion with the uncle. So I can see the vision is still there, right? But we need more than just the vision. Now we are going into this idea of taking the first steps. You can see the mindset. I can't just rely on my mom because she's already struggling. So I need to do something about it. I'm going to graphic design. It's about self. I'm going to earn a little bit of money, you know, from using the skills that I have. And I want to hone in onto that. That's my second observation. So the multi-visions, I guess, was one. The second part, Ruda, is this idea of I know what I'm good at. I speak well. I can play these music instruments. I was writing it down. What am I good at, right? I don't want to keep struggling. So an aspect of change that often people don't realize is sitting back and saying, what am I good at? Because when you realize what you're good at, that becomes your strength during difficulties of navigating change. Because you say, for example, I'm an optimistic person. It's going to be okay when I'm navigating that. Or in this instance, right, I've got the skill of art. I'm going to graphic design and, and a little bit of money you know, out of that. So we see, again, those two components, the vision coming through and that ability of taking those first steps to say it's within my power to enact change.
<laughs> you are so happy with that. <laughs> no, correct. It is. It is uh, because I mean, um, I I had to having to. It was very uncomfortable. It's called uncomfortable growth. Yeah. I had to be okay with being uncomfortable because I was like, again, there's no one coming to save me. So it's either I create a means for me to combat the fact that there's no obsession for success where I come from, right? You have like kids mothering before they even have breasts where where I come from. So I saw that and it almost gave me this <gasps> feeling that I, I there's no way I'm going back. There's no way I'm going back. If I'm going back, I'm going back to show them that, hey, actually, this is how I made it out. I'm not going back to be another number, whatever, of the statistic, right? So that's why me having to push through was based on the fact that I cannot go back. Sure. I cannot go back there. And then the next step, well, it wasn't actually a next step. It was a completely different dance mm-hmm. um, with the you you got together a choir. Yes. How did that happen and why? So the choir element, again, growing up in the Salvation Army, right? So there's the brass band. There's always a choir as well, right? So um, when I got to, to Vets, there was a church in Soweto, Piet Memorial Corps, that I was a part of, right? Do you so, sing? I used to sing. Soprano, but now those who cannot do teach. <laughs> right? <laughs> those who can't do teach now. So <laughs> so don't put me at the spot. Um, <laughs> I can conduct for you right now. So um so moved to to you know the church had the choir element and then the the band element, right? So the two were always tethered together. And um then the idea of a choir came because I was um going to a lot of choir competitions, school choir competitions, right, where you see these young people competing from, like, local, national, and regional level, and you're like, shucks, how is a grade eight singing like Pavarotti? Like, where does that voice come from? Who are these people? So um, then I would want to find out who they were. So I would have this conviction of just wanting to find out who people are beyond just what they're doing, right? So I would bother them after these competitions, be like, hey, that was beautiful. Um, was that Puccini? Oh, was that, you know, Mendelssohn? Ah, oh, beautiful. What's your name? Where do you come from? Where did you start? Like, who's your vocal coach? Whatever, which school are you from? So I then collected the data of phone numbers and then I would create this group chat where I was like, hey, this is who I am. Let's meet on Saturday for a rehearsal, right? And then I'll just have Why? scores. Why? Because I just had this love for bringing young people together again i'm talking about young people from a disenfranchised part of the community so it reminded me of where i come from and for me it was art that always saved me right art in my small room when i was like ah there's a lot happening out there you know and things that i don't want to get um that i don't want to be a part of but all i had was my room and these pencils these crayons or whatever and these pieces of paper and i was creating art that was my escape so i saw that okay their escape is music how do i create a space where i can get all of them so it was almost like a social experiment but i did not know i didn't have the term for it right i just was like i just want to bring you together because i love the way you sing so i want to hear you guys sing all together so tell us about the first time that you yes. okay so now there are what 10 <laughs> people 12 people you know it was um It was 16. 
So soprano, I mean, there's the section of the choir, soprano, alto, tenor, and baritone. So it was like four, four, eight. Yes, it was like four per section, right? So there they were. We were doing Mendelssohn. I believe it was Cast Thy Burdens Upon the Lord. And then what else did we do? Um, and I think we did like an African piece again. And how did you experience that? There you are standing in front of them. And you have now made this happen. Yes, and, right. So, and they are oof. all in literally in your hands. Yes. So that's why I saw the vision, right? So because um, that's where I had my pianist friend obviously come and then obviously have to play the, the piano. There has to be a melody. We cannot just be singing, right? We have to get the right key and whatever. So I'm there and I'm hearing them sing. It was almost as though I needed them as much as they probably needed me as well. There was something emancipating about hearing them, right? And then and I had making it happen. Yes, right? It was almost like... Shucks, I thought that you guys maybe need me, but I feel like I also need you as well because being a part of this makes me feel um, like limitless as well. Like I was able to do that, but obviously I'm not doing it by myself. So it became the power of the collective now. And I was like, shucks, as a collective, let's actually ensure that we facilitate the space where we can create music, right? And then um, rehearsal after rehearsal, the more we had rehearsals now, I was like, actually, that's, let's add instruments to this. So before I knew it, I had like a 19 members of of, a, of a, like an orchestra ensemble and then there was a 16 member choir and then everyone was taking out their instruments and then I was like okay shucks now this is the large number who's going to conduct this right so I was like shucks now I need to learn how to conduct so that's where the conducting came because I mean as a pianist the pianist can always know how to sort of like lead a rehearsal but now when you have that number they need a leader yeah Frank what are you hearing so quite a few things. I'm so excited. I want to bring uh, two important things that have come out here. I think one of the things that is across every aspect of the journey that Offense is sharing with us is the idea of a mindset. Now, what is a mindset? Simply a mindset, it's a set of beliefs, attitudes, knowledge we have towards something. So we can have a money mindset, we can have a stress mindset. Often people talk about a growth mindset or a scarcity mindset, right? So set of attitudes, beliefs, and knowledge. And there is no doubt when you listen carefully to this story, there is this mindset for me, I'm paraphrasing what I'm hearing from Offense. The world is full of possibilities raised the granny, the parents, the community, Salvation Army. Over time, I'm getting a sense. She developed this mindset of they're just out there. I can go and get things done. I think it's important for us to underline the role of a mindset in being able to navigate change. Closely linked to that, we're hearing parents, the choir, Perhaps I needed them more than me. We're hearing the community of the Salvation Army. We're hearing the school. All those we can collectively put them under this big umbrella term of social support. When we're navigating change, we need others around us. We cannot do it alone. So change is almost like a team sport. The more you see others around you giving you energy, you feeding off their energy, you develop this sense of I can do it. And so it's so important never to feel lonely and not reach out to others during moments of change. You need others to, it becomes easier when you walk that journey with others. 
you were looking for mentors yeah. because you, you're now an architecture student, you're not a music student. <laughs> and a, a number of doors you knocked on were basically slammed in your face. Um, but you found someone. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like I get this resilient spirit from my mom, like, my mom would have this thing when I'd be like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. I need this for school, but I know we cannot afford it. My mom would be like, you know what, um, I'll make a plan. And I'm looking at her like, you understand that I need this tomorrow, right? And then she'd be like, no, I'll make a plan. So she had this faith in her that was just like able to just move any mountain. And I would just look at her like, no, we're not. And then she would come back home like hours later and then having made a plan. So that resilience, because I saw it firsthand, right? Um, for me, it was, it almost became my default setting. So I kept knocking on doors, right? Knock on this door, knock on that door. And I think to really buffer the disappointment, I would knock on many doors at once. So I don't remember which one was actually closed and really just hope that one catches, right? So that I'm not like, ah, it's been 20 doors that I knocked on. So I'll make sure that... Someone once said, no means next. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yes, like literally means like, okay, challenge accepted. So I would knock on so many doors as like at one go. Be like, okay, I would send messages whether on Instagram, on Facebook, to a lot of people, oh, you know, DM, 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 DM. And then I'll be like, okay, let's see if one responds, right? Even if it's like, okay, friends, I'm so sorry. I cannot help you right now, but this is such an inspirational thing that you're doing. So that for me, be like, okay, he, he cannot help right now, but let me see what I can do. So when I got hold of Herben Gruten, right, maestro, the incomparable Herben Gruten. He's the conductor at the University of Pretoria Philharmonic, huh? Correct. Yeah. Right. And then um, he's also, um, I don't know if he's still the head, but currently he's in Holland, right? So apart from that, he had this illustrious career, right, in Europe. So he was the assistant to Claudio Abado, who is my conducting hero, right? Like the giant Claudio Abado of the Berlin Philharmonic um, Orchestra, which I aspire to be, you know, to build my brand, to be um, be like that. So for so me, you just somehow went for the top. Yeah. Listen, in it order to be like great, that. you yeah. have to believe in something that's greater <laughs> than you. So I was like, like, okay, if I can get Herman Gruten, everything else that said no to me, it does not matter. And so tell me about getting the message. Yes. So Herman was like, um, hey, offense, thank you for your message. Let's meet. Right. So these people want to meet you to suss out your energy and see if you are legit. Right. So I was like, okay, Mr. G, let's meet. And then we met for coffee. And then he was okay. Tell me what you want to do. And then I told him about my story is, you know, I'm really interested in African storytelling. So, um, African pieces, African composers and all these. Like, okay, that's great. Um, I'll teach you everything I know, right? But also, you can do the African stuff, but it's also important, especially because you're young, you're female. These people are going to challenge you. So I also have to teach you the difficult stuff. I have to teach you your Tchaikovsky's. I have to go into Beethoven. I have to go into Mozart. We have to go into um, your Finlandias and all like a very difficult, complex pieces so that you're not just one-dimensional. You can come with the African stuff, but you can also do the very difficult stuff, right, that European um, conductors really flourish in. So I was like, oh, okay, so... But that will also would also give you a kind of formal, if someone challenges you, you can say, I can do what you do, mate. So Herbin was like, I think he came across also from seeing that he has to protect me. 
because he saw that it's, it's 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 just you doing what you're doing right now. So he saw it before the entire world was like, actually, it's just you're the first. So he saw it and was like, I actually need to make sure that whoever comes against you, you can pick up the basin and say, OK, let's go. Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. Let's go. So then Corbin literally told me everything that he knew. So there was never no this is for girls this is for boys there was never like babying when we came to, to scores like we would go to Javorjak's, um, you know New World Symphony and like we would go into difficult like I mean very difficult pieces that end a lot of careers right so that's what I always uh, also appreciate about that he never saw me as just oh, this young girl he was like listen I need to teach you so he coached me like I guess how Serena's father coached her like there was never a young girl thing he was like listen if we're gonna learn if we're gonna teach how to play tennis we're going to teach how to play tennis otherwise let's leave this so th- that is the mentality and that she would have to practice for hours exactly. and hours and hours what was expected from you i would have a timeline so if we would have a, a session on this friday he'd be like okay um i would have to take a video of myself conducting the piece that we analyzed right and then you'd be like, okay these are the notes now you go practice 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 take a video so that i can then give you pointers of okay you did this wrong whatever and then over time there were less mistakes and that's when he was like well done. You ready? I was like, what? He was like, yeah, you ready? We created the Change Exchange because at Bright Rock, we love change. And we wanted to know and share everything there is to know about change and how it impacts our lives. We call it Change Science. Change Science shows that everyone can get better at navigating change and that in all moments of change, there's always opportunity. To learn more about change science, visit the Change Exchange, our free resource that's filled with tips, tools, and inspiring stories to help you navigate change in your life. Just like the stories in this podcast, you can find many more on changeexchange.co.za or on your preferred podcast platform. Just search for Change Exchange. Made just for you by Brightrock the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. And then through COVID, you managed to carry on in some ways, though many of your orchestra members, of course, mm. had technological difficulties, etc., etc. Dr. Frank, why do some people find a way mm. and other people just say, this is too difficult, I can't do this? I am so glad I got this question because I've been itching to introduce another important element that builds resilience and and helps us navigate change. And it is simply optimism. It sounds so simple. I know there's Ruda laughing. But research across many countries, different nationalities has come to this conclusion, Ruda. It says to us, the engine of change the engine of resilience is optimism some people are just so tenacious they persevere because underlying that you mentioned grit earlier they just say to themselves it doesn't matter how challenging things are there's a positive future in time good things happen to people that's a simple definition of optimism in time good things happen so what is it that people who do well with change, like offense, do differently from others, they are more optimistic. 
And it's a skill. It's not a trait, Ruda. It's a skill. We can learn to be more optimistic. Right? So it's so critical when we are in- engaging with change. That vision that, that, that we have, part of it builds the optimism in us because we want to get to that vision. How do we learn to be like that? There are a number of things. One that I can share, and again, lots of studies back it up. It's an interesting exercise. Uh, it's called the future possible self. Now, I'm going to put words in our guest's uh, mouth, but I'm sure she's going to say, I don't think I'm far-fetched from what I'm saying. If I look at everything she has shared with us, I would want to argue as an academic that there is an element of offense eh? pushing herself into the future as a young person when she had these 16 people at the beginning, for example, and she envisaged a future where she is conducting a big orchestra. But actually, she's just there with the 16 people in front of her. Envisaging a future self builds optimism. I don't know if I'm right, uh, offense. Did you ever see yourself, you conducting your 16, 19 people, right? That's where you are. But you project a future self, a big choir. You know, there's music going, there's a huge audience. Did you ever do that? No, definitely. I mean, I was in the small classroom with the, with, you know, with, with, the, with the ensemble. And then I imagined them at the Sydney Opera House. Future possible so self. So that is literally what I was working. So I was like Sydney Opera House. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Key part of dealing with change. So what does it tell us, Ruta? It says, yes, we must deal with the reality of where we are when we are facing change, but we need optimism to take us into that future possibilities and say, I may be struggling now, but my goodness, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to have greed because that vision that I have is just too beautiful to not chase after. Amazing. That's absolutely wonderful. Now, something we talked about earlier, Dr. Frank, is that retaining a balance between kind of a day job mm. and this astonishing thing that you're building. You're mm. on your way to the Sydney Opera House. Yeah. That's going to take many hours. Mm-hmm. Why do you think, do you find it necessary and how do you manage it to still work an office office job so that's the thing i i i move past office and a structural corporate nine to five a while back so right now i just i freelance as an architect right i at times you know do my own um projects and all that because what has been taking a lot of my time has been the music so there had to be a point where i actually decide which one i'm feeding more is so, the is the orchestra beginning to be an enterprise is it beginning yes. to make money um i would say i would say yes we're beginning to get um the recognition that i've just been fighting for i'm getting the bookings where I don't have to explain why you have to book us. So now it's like, okay, we need you for this. And I'm like, okay, um, give me the date. What is the theme and all that? And then we work around, do they want the big ensemble? Do they want a small ensemble? And all that. So it's only now, I would say, starting to gain the momentum that I wanted it to. Do you remember the first time mm-hmm. you said to someone, but you have to pay us? Yes, I do. Um, and that was always in the beginning because remember the people I was also bothering online were the people who were business people who ran their organizations. And then I was seeking advice because I was like, listen, this is what I have. I don't want to fail. I've seen a lot of choirs. I've seen a lot of choral groups fail. So I've seen you and the work that you do online. 
can you please give me a few pointers? And everyone was like, you have to treat this like a business. So from the onset, I looked at this as a business. So there were there was a vision, you know, there's a very proposition from the onset of what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it and how we are doing it. So I already had a clear understanding of what this thing was from the beginning, even though it was like an, a developing concept and idea, but I always knew that. So there's a kind of combination of hard-headedness yeah. and idealism. Absolutely. And I think you need that to navigate change and achieve your, you know, your objective. It almost speaks to this idea of um, I accept my uh, current reality. These are the brutal facts of where I find myself. Right. And here's the interesting thing about change that you're getting us into. Some people, when they accept the brutal facts of their reality, right, they fall into despair. It's so hard. I can do it. Other people can do it, not me. But what we are seeing here is the other side. And hence, I introduced the idea earlier of optimism. Because I accept the brutal reality, but something inside me says, yes, these are the facts. But there is this vision that I'm chasing. I believe fundamentally that in time, good things happen. And I think it will be okay. And by the way, another element that is coming through this story for me is the idea of not wanting to know exactly how things will pan up. So in other words, a must lead to B, must lead to C, must lead to D. So, so often when you are, when you, when you want to plan exactly like that and things don't work out, you can easily fall into despair. You can easily give up. But here you've got a broad idea. This is where I'm going. This is the vision. I don't know exactly how I'm going to go there. I'm going to use social support. I'm going to use my skills. I know my strength. I'm going to reach out to people. But generally, this is where I'm going. And I think it's so important when we deal with change to not want to know exactly the path and what we will do to achieve our vision and goals no not to try and pack it in a box absolutely but just uh, just live with with how it how mm. it grows mm-hmm. yeah correct yeah. correct so um i would say that is how it it grew i always had like the end goal in mind and being an academic thank god for my my architecture is yeah. that i know how to do like an entire theoretical underpinning so i will always state my case and know okay what are my findings you know what is my methodology how do i how do i envision the sydney opera house you know and then i have to come up with the facts of okay it's possible because of x y and z okay what do i need you know so it's almost like coming up with a timeline also coming up with like a concept development of sorts so my acad- my academic muscle i guess has also helped really get this brand where it, what is where is it is at right now because again it's an anomaly you cannot put me in the classical music space um predominantly you cannot really put me in jazz you cannot really put me in pop culture so it's all of these things like i'm so multi-tiered that i can do a bach but still do a concert with Judas Puma and still do a concert with you know the likes of black coffee or sanal musician and then still be able to do like entirely different um event for like a big corporate like I did with Bedvest um, a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations. So, thank you so, so, so very much. So it's very multi-tiered and it was very intentional to get it like that. Fantastic. I think that's a wonderful note to end this first discussion. Dr. Frank, this is going to be amazing. I'm so glad we're doing this. And you can yeah. see the V, the D, the F, when those are there, 
resistance is no chance. It's blown away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Fancy, thank you so much for having been our first guest. Um, it was a very good opening movement, mm-hmm. I think. Many firsts. <laughs> yes. Thank you very Exciting. much. Thank, thank you very much. And uh, to the listeners, please join us again for the other episodes in this series. The stories are remarkable, and um, I find the research ins- insights absolutely fascinating and empowering. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Dr. Frank. Because we are giving the people what you need to do to be able to be navigating change well in life. It's not a black box. There's a science behind it. Thank you so much. Meet you again on the Change Exchange.